Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast. This episode is presented by AeroSeal. AeroSeal's turnkey suite of duct sealing and HVAC efficiency energy conservation measures provide three to five year paybacks and are installed by their in-house mobile operations crews throughout the world. Their proven solutions have been utilized by nearly every NAESCO member, providing over $2 billion in energy savings to date. Excited to have them sponsor not only this episode, but a number of episodes throughout this year. And on today's episode, we sit down with Herbert Dwyer, who is the CEO of MPEC. Herbert walks us through his background, where he grew up, and how he eventually landed in the Marines, and how his experience in the military really shaped the course of his career and his eventual entrepreneurial journey into running MPEC today. Herbert and I, of course, discuss where he sees the industry heading in the next 10 to 15 years, and especially what that may mean for the employment market. It's a really interesting perspective there. And as usual, be sure to stick around until the end. As I could tell, Herbert really spent some time thinking about his daily non-negotiables and what he wants his lasting legacy to be. And overall, it's just a great conversation, and I believe you're going to enjoy it. So let's drop in. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast. Today we're sitting down with Herbert Dwyer, who is the CEO of MPAC. Herbert, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, yeah. I know we, uh, we've we been working for the last couple of months to try to get this thing scheduled, and I know you're doing this while in transit at a conference, so I uh, appreciate you making this a priority and, and making it happen. Absolutely. All right. So I, I know we got uh, we got connected, and I think we have a mutual connection through uh, just NASCO in general. I know we were we were both at the conference uh, just uh, just earlier this month, and I know we were talking about uh, what you guys are doing, the way that you're going to market. But I think there's going to be a lot of our audience members that may not recognize MPEC yet. So could you tell us a little bit about uh, the organization? Actually, before we go there, tell us about your background. I got a little bit ahead of myself here. Tell us about where you grew up and, and kind of you know how you got started in your career. You know, my father was, uh, was I guess you'd call him a sales engineer. So we did quite a bit of traveling uh, all over the place. I was actually born in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, into a Mennonite family. Uh, kind of an interesting uh, fun fact yeah. about me. And it was, uh, you know, I still remember wearing corduroys and you know, women with the long dresses and horse and buggies showing up to church. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, we, we did move, you know, from Lancaster when I was still, still a bit young. Um, but like I said, you know, moved around a lot and, you know, I, I I learned, you know, to, you know, learn to make friends uh, and, you know, just kind of find similarities with people just so I can connect because we're always going to a new, a new community. Uh, so I, I think I've carried that, you know, with me through, uh, throughout life. What's uh, another, another, I guess, interesting kind of uh, factoid is when I was in high school, um, I went to Honey Falls Lima High School and, and Honey Falls is south of Rochester, New York. And, you know, I, I really was bored in high school. I was one of those kids that just, uh, just, I just I was bored and I, you know, caused trouble in class. And I had an amazing history teacher named Joan Havilland who helped me graduate. You know, my, my father had asked me, you know, what I was going to do after high school. And, you know, frankly, I had no idea. <laughs> I was just happy to graduate high school uh, with the grades that I had. And, you know, I didn't have the grades for, for college. Uh, so, my, you know, my dad suggested the military and, uh, you know, I was like, I don't know, it's, you know, suburban, you know, white community. With military really isn't a career path for you know for graduates. It's always college, uh, and I was like, you know, I'm going to give it a shot. So I walked into the recruiter's office, and you know, the, the Marine Corps was on the right. It was the first one on the right, and I walked in. I started. I was walking by, and then and Sergeant Green, who was in there, is like, "That's right, just keep walking. You don't belong here." And I was like, "What?" So I turned around. Like, What's going on? I don't belong here. 
It's like, hey, if you're not here to, to be a Marine, then that means you're just not focused. You know, you don't want it. And you need you need to earn that title of Marine. And I'm like, huh. So uh after you know a couple hours in the recruiting office, uh he's like, you know, I'm gonna take this ASVAB test. And uh that the ASVAB is the military entrance exam. And uh, I scored really well, actually. Sergeant Green said it was the highest score that they've seen uh, during his time there. And he asked what I wanted to do. He's like, I could do whatever I wanted. I told him I wanted to be James Bond. Uh, so they uh, they put me in uh, into intelligence and signals intelligence. And uh, I became an NSA task crypt analyst uh, assigned to 1st Ray Battalion Radio Recon. That's where I served my, my days in, in the Marine Corps. And I'll tell you, the Marines greatly altered my course in life and, and just hmm. in a really a profound way. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Okay. So what, uh, what year was this or how, how long were you in the, the Marines? I was in the Marines for four years. Uh, about, I got out about 20 years ago. Uh, so I've been, you know, went, went to college, community college afterwards and then uh, Monroe Community College. And then I got, that's my undergrad. And then my uh, undergrad, I went to RIT in Rochester. And then I, I received my uh, MBA from Cornell in 2019 um, through the executive program. So did you catch just kind of the beginning of 9-11 or you said 20 years ago. I mean, that's right when things were, were kicking off and that's right when you were getting out, huh? Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, that kind of all happened right when I was getting out. Uh, okay. you know, so we we did a lot of work, um, you know, the, the stuff that was going, there's, it's not like Al-Qaeda just kind of appeared and people are like, what, where'd these guys come from? Uh, they've been around for a while and, you know, yeah. they're really on our radars. Um, so, you know, although, you know, 9-11 certainly changed, you know, American society and, and our culture and in our view of the military. But you know, the military was still fighting Al-Qaeda before 9-11. It just didn't have the money and funding. Uh, hmm. General Colin Powell was really trying to get more funding. And it just the uh, Congress wasn't having it. But 9-11 happened. Yeah. Yeah. OK. No, it's uh, interesting stuff. So. All right. So so you get uh, you graduate from from RIT. Then, you know, kind of where do you go from there as far as the the career? kind of getting into industry. Yeah. <laughs> so I had a stint. Um, it was a, it was a summer uh, job to be the printing officer on board the HMS Queen Elizabeth II cruise ship. Right. So I actually ran a two color press in the bowels of the ship um, because I went to RIT for print management, new media. Uh, so then, and the, you know, new media was just coming out. It was like a thing about, you know, create, create it once and then repurpose it over many different channels. And that was new back then. Now it's just like you hit a button and it does it automatically. Back then you had to do it manually, but mm-hmm. we're kind of, you know, on the forefront of that. But that was a, that was a great experience. Uh, but um, you know, after I graduated, I, I did have a, I started a job at uh, FedEx, uh, being the assistant manager in Ithaca, New York, and um, quickly uh, took over as general manager. Uh, and I did that for a good number of years, and then got into real estate as a sales manager for uh, a large uh, real estate broker. I think when I left, we had 72 uh, full and part-time agents um, on my my sales team and, uh, you know, got into construction, actually, and um, and eventually uh, energy auditing. And how I landed in the industry is there's a local residential energy efficiency company named Snug Planet, right? pretty cool name, um, out of Ithaca, New York. And they were doing these, these I think they call them learning circles, where they come to your house and, you know, bring some other people, maybe your neighbors or friends, and and they just talk about uh, building science and, and building performance and kind of, you know, the stack effect in your home and, you know, and, and you know, you're feeling drafts, like why you're feeling drafts and what you can do about that. And I was in construction at the time. And I was like, oh, this is really fascinating. Um, and I really became immediately intrigued about, you know, building performance in science and, you know, and again, keep in mind, I own a construction company at the time. So I was already involved, you know, I had a background in real estate. Um, 
And about a year later, I was actually a proud Building Performance Institute multifamily auditor, um, where you know oversaw and conducted over 300 audits, ranging from simple single-family homes to ASHRAE level three audits. Right, which no surprise is why we created fast side survey uh here at impact just to just, I was just kind of being selfish i wanted to do my job faster <laughs> yeah well that's, <laughs> that's that's a perfect segue so so tell us about impact you know kind of uh, you're already getting into it kind of the, the genesis and how the company was started and then tell us uh you know how you guys are going to market and just a little bit about the business here impact is uh you know we've created technology that's called the fast site survey and essentially it's for People that are doing field work, uh, you know, building audits, uh, facility condition assessments, uh, special inspections, you know, within the built environment, they're collecting data in buildings. Uh, and currently, I mean, the majority of the market, um, surprisingly or not, because I, I did the same thing, uses pen and paper. Uh, you know, and there's a there's a you know reluctance to switch to digital means for various reasons. You know, in in our technology, FastSight Survey um, leverages AI in order to you know. To, to you know deliver a, an experience that's 50 to 80 percent faster over anything else that that our our customers are doing today but you know we hear this often that well you know, great you guys have AI it's going to take jobs right but actually um it, you know and, and that's true AI does take jobs but the AI that we use and the process that we use technology we use actually separates the the work process of data collection, you know, and, and processing and, and presentation into workbooks or databases or, or, you know, energy audit software, wherever the data has to go. Uh, and, and it separates it into data collection and, you know, data manipulation, right, or modeling. And the modeling typically is someone who is really advanced. And historically, they have to go to the building to collect that same data. And it's a very manual and tedious task for these professionals, these very well-paid professionals to, to do this sort of work. Now, you know, there's there's complex audits that still require that, but what we're seeing is a lot more of these basic audits are being done by, you know, an 18 year old uh, person just graduated right out of high school. They pick up fast site survey, take some pictures, and let our let our technology do the heavy lifting for them. Um, so we you know that's kind of the world that we see, and it's kind of where we are today. And that's our you know go to market is really you know, looking for folks that are doing things a manual way, or maybe they're leveraging some kind of technology like a smart sheet, you know, software or something. Um, and we want to talk to them because they're a great customer for us. So when I think and I hear AI and, and a software as a service, I think this is this is a lot of a lot of time went into developing this, right? So give oh, us yeah. an idea. I mean, like how many years, how much time went into actually developing the product to where you felt like, hey, now we're ready to go to market? It literally took us two years. We we uh committed to this process to the to technology to as a way to you know, increase efficiency in the field back in early 2000, uh, sorry, 2020. Uh, and it took us about two years to get us to a technology that behaves the way, the basic technology that behaved the way that, you know, people in the field that are engineers and they've, they've done it this way for a hundred years and, and, you know, they're very risk adverse. They want to keep doing it the same way they've always done it, you know, but to, to get a group of those people to, to, you know, take a, take a chance on us. And to have a great experience and and to stay a customer, uh, yeah, it took us well over two years to, to get to that point. It was a very very difficult arduous process, lots and lots of data we had to collect and, and process and train. But here we are today. It's a great great technology. Actually, we just closed a contract with the Air Force uh, just a few weeks ago. They're really excited about rolling it out to their own uh, air bases. 
Oh, cool, cool. Okay, so you you touched on this earlier, but what was kind of like the uh, the main impetus or genesis for starting the company? Right, there was a challenge. Like any entrepreneur, you saw a problem in the marketplace, right? And you're like, all right, how do we solve this? So, was there a story? What's what's kind of the background where you were like, hey, I'm going to start Impact? Or tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. And uh, you know, I, I'm I'm going to say it. You know, we pivoted in 2020 into a tech technology company from. Um, you know, our, our our corporate, you know, name is is MPAC, right? DBA. It's short for Empower Equity. We first came to market. Uh, we thought that, you know, specialized financing uh, vehicles would be a great way to increase efficiency in the commercial um, you know, market for, for energy retrofits, right? And making buildings more energy efficient. And we went to market with a product uh, and it worked out really well. We had lots of customers. Um, our portfolio that we still have is uh, still it's, it, it performs at 100%. Knock on wood, we've had zero losses. Uh, but we realized that in 2020, um, you know, working with the National Science Foundation's ICOR Nationals program and uh, Cor- uh, Cornell's uh, Center for Regional Economic uh, Advancement in, in Ithaca, that we really we our ramp was really um, low, right? And we needed a steeper ramp in order to. Um, in order to you know achieve the goals that we set out for us about you know getting more energy audits and more you know retrofits done right about reducing greenhouse gas emissions today and not you know in, in 2050 and we realized that you know through a lot of research a lot of conversations that it's really about technology and process improvement and that's really where we we found ourselves to be and that's what we, we are today right we're we're a process improvement company um and we believe that you know it is bringing greater efficiency you know, to the market and and we're, we're achieving, you know, 20, 30, 40 X over whatever we did pre 2020. Now I will, I will say Jim that we, and this, this is, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to other entrepreneurs that are out there. You know, we, we had a plan, we had a strategy, it was working. And then in 2020, you know, we took a step back and looked at it and we're like, is this, is where, is this where we're going? Is this where we wanted to go? And we, we, as the the team, decided no, that that's not it. And you know, I think it took a lot of courage for the team to 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 move away from what was known and go into something fairly new for us. And uh, you know, we started getting the reputation like, oh, they're that's the pivoting company; they're always changing, right? Like we changed once, right? But so um, you know, we heard that from mentors and some of our you know incubator um, staff members, like, oh yeah, you know, that the pivoting company. It's like. <laughs> Do you want us to stay on on the old business model that just wasn't scaling, or do you want us to try something new, right? And so I, I want to encourage any entrepreneurs that are listening to this. You know, it, sometimes you have to pivot, and it, it may be the people you trust most are going to tell you not to, but trust your gut. Yeah, and that's a real entrepreneurial dilemma, right? It's like, hey, this is the business plan. We got to stay the course. We can't pivot now because you don't know. You know, things could turn and things could change. You know, thirty days from now, let's just stay the course. Or we can keep going down this path. It's the point of no return, and we got to pivot now, right? That's that's why entrepreneurs, uh, what you guys do, and you know the uh, the path for success is uh, it's not easy. But when you make the right call, right, it could be a huge payoff for for the market, for yourselves, for the company, for clients, right? So that that's why uh, you know there's a certain vision that's tied into to what you and your partners are doing here, which I think kind of leads us into this next segment here. You know, Herbert, where do you see the industry heading? Let's just fast forward 10, 15 years from now. Where do you see the industry heading and where do you see MPAC and your solution coming into play? Yeah, so let's let's talk about macro issues, right? So go, before the pandemic, there weren't enough blue collar workers that work on buildings, that work on you know heating and cooling equipment in buildings. 
and also field engineers and auditors to to meet the demand of the marketplace. Right? If you own a home, you've experienced this trying to get a contractor to your house to show up on time and give you you know decent price and get it done on time. Like it's it's really hard, and it's just that there's just simply a, a lack of, of these people out there. Well, the pandemic hit, right, and all of us left the workforce and we stayed at home. We we're on lockdown, and then when they opened things back up. The most senior people in these industries didn't come back to work. They took they took retirement, right? So you had a problem going into the into the um, pandemic, and now we have a bigger problem coming out of it. So you're starting to see a lot of government programs coming online. You know the the Inflation Reduction Act, SEC, ESG uh, type you know measures, the 500 million dollar K12 audit money is coming out from um, from the White House. I mean, like there's just all this money that's coming online to go and, and retrofit buildings and and pay for audits, but there's there's a lack of workers out there, right? So I think we're going to start seeing um, buildings become more digitized and kind of be smarter buildings. I, I hate to say IoT uh, will still be a thing because I just don't like the name Internet of Things. I don't think it does justice for some of the great technologies that, that people are installing and using in buildings. Um, probably need a new name, a new new category, but um, I think we're going to see that happen. I think it's going to be great news for blue collar workers uh, that, that want a you know a career path that isn't college, maybe isn't the military. Um, I think there's going to be a lot more opportunities for for new career paths, um, you know. And I think that there's going to be greater and better use of of data, uh, including utility data, uh, becoming more accessible. Big data, right? Many of us have heard this term with utilities. New York State is a great example of this. Like and utilities are being required to share big data, right? For with organizations like ours that we can use that data and, and help business owners, building owners make better, more fine, more refined and timely decisions at, at lower cost and faster, right? Like that's where the market is going. I think it's gonna be around speed and accuracy and, and around data and these these sensors and devices in the built environment. Very cool. Very cool. Well, let's um, let's transition to the last part of the show here. There's the last or same four questions I ask every guest who comes on and wanted to lead off. Herbert, what are your daily non-negotiables? Sure. Yeah, that, these are these are phenomenal questions, by the way, Jim. Uh, it really took a lot of thinking through this, right, to define them because, you know, you kind of just go through the habit. And you just do these things automatically. And then, sure. you know, so it's pretty cool. So I was giving my seven year old daughter a hug before school, non-negotiable. I tell my wife good morning and I love her. Um, spending time with the kids, you know, I'll never get this exact moment of time back ever. So that's really important. Um, you know, kids, kids first, family first. Um, make a list of what I'm going to accomplish today. And you know, while at work and just going through the day, you know, I treat everyone I meet today with respect and curiosity, even the jerks. <laughs> we all meet, we we all come across those jerks, but I, you know, I do my best to really uh, treat them with respect and curiosity as well. And I always try to remember that I make mistakes too. Love that. No, that's uh, those are really good. Some of the best I've heard so far. All right. So what uh, what advice would you give to your 22 year old self? You're probably getting out of the military at this time. I was, yeah, I, certainly I was 22 getting out of the Marines. Um, I just turned actually 22, probably three months before I got out. Um, so there's a there's a term called first civ div, first civilian division, right? It's it's kind of the the, the name for civilian life. And I said, welcome to first civ div. Uh, you have no transition help from the military. Focus on getting your Marine Corps injuries taken care of ASAP. Um, things are different today, but not 20 years ago. There wasn't a very good transition uh, program for for veterans, you know, military members. Um, and I really, I and I, I didn't get 
uh, injuries that I, I, I uh, received in the Marines, uh, take care of and, 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 you know, really, um, you know, led to, led to problems later on. Um, you know, trust your gut. It's almost always right. Even when your head mentors and trusted confidence say otherwise, um, you know, it's really, we all, you know, you have this voice in, in your head and, you know, many times you don't listen to it and then do something and make a decision. You're like, oh, I should just listen to that voice. Um, you know, I've done a better job listening to that voice and just, um, just checking it, <laughs> even when other everybody else is telling me to do something else, and maybe my voice may be saying to do something different. Um, here's a great, you know, travel tidbit: a travel on timeshare vacation offers. It will save you a ton, but don't fall for the sales pitches. They're still a timeshare. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but uh, kid, kids are awesome. Um, you know, you have so much to learn from them, and to have them sooner in life. Do more with less. Billionaires are not monks. They do have, they do not have all the answers and neither do monks. Um, you know, do not at all costs work for a bully. This is so important. Do not at all costs work for a bully. They are toxic and the people they attract are not who you want to surround yourself with and learn from unless that's your jam. Um, you know, college isn't for everyone. Really think through what you enjoy doing in life before committing to a large debt and career path defined by one. And uh, you know, I have a knack for seeing people as people. And nothing more or less. I can relate with people uh, from many walks of life. You know, embrace that. And I think that that came from us moving around a lot. You know, as I mentioned earlier in my in my life, um, I think that that really is a skill set as I you know identified later in life, and just working with people. Um, you know, people are important. People are the ones that get things done. Even in a technology company like like Impact, people still get it done. What motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? I think first and foremost, my family, you know, being a great husband and dad has been my greatest challenge and, and reward and experience. Uh, it's really hard to be a, you know, a good husband and a good father and you know, kids are always pushing buttons and, <laughs> you know, but you do what you can and, and try to be a great example uh, for them as, as they grow up. Um, and another thing is, you know, make things better than I found them. Uh, I was watching World Cup the other day and I don't know if you saw this, Jim, the, the, uh, the Japanese soccer fans cleaned up the, the the stadium did you see that i did not i did not see that no it was phenomenal like they just like random fans after drinking beer and hanging there and my like, can't drink beer and those non-alcoholic beer uh you know they they cleaned up their entire section they had blue bags and just dumping stuff in and the uh reporter asked like hey why are you doing that and they're like well we want to leave it better than we found it and they called it a tarame i believe is how it's pronounced and I thought it was so incredibly inspirational that these people did this without being asked. I mean, you imagine in America, you know, Bill's game gets over, stadiums trash, beers everywhere, and the you know football fans are just like reach down and start cleaning up. Like, no, that doesn't happen. <laughs> I thought that was really cool. So, making things better than I, I found them, um, and that's 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 a true you know value that I have. Um, you know, and this also fits into kind of making the world more efficient and realistic and sustainable you know way. And I don't mean sustainable, sustainable, just sustainable about how many people think of it being green. Just you know, being able to operate you know sustainably, um, I think that's a really important thing as uh, time goes on. And um, yeah, I think those are those are the two big things for me. Sure. Last question here: what uh, What do you want your lasting legacy to be? You know, um, this was a tough question. Uh, you know, really tough question. And I, uh, I, you know, kind of where I landed is that you know I want to make things slightly better for those around me. And for those after me, um, you know, it, it, with, the, with the things that I touch, right? So it's just, I'm, I'm a positive uh, force, you know, on this planet. Uh, even in a little, slightly, you know, a s- small way, 
Um, but there is an impact that I that I make, right? That my life meant something at the end. Yeah, well, Herbert, I could tell you you spent a lot of time thinking about these questions, and I appreciate the deliberate, you know, sincere answers. And this was uh, this was a joy. So I'm glad we got to do this. And um, thanks for being a guest on the, uh, the Building Efficiency Podcast. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. All right. All right, there you have it, episode 78 with Herbert Dwyer. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did enjoy it, please be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you enjoy listening to your favorite podcast. Now, we hope you're sharing this with your friends and colleagues. And one last thing that I would add here is if you have any future guests in mind from the industry, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you loyal listeners. So until next time, I'm Jim Schaefer, and we'll catch you on the next episode.